justified. Welcome to the third episode of Justified, Life In-House. Today, we are chatting with Melissa Morabito, Senior Legal Counsel at ResMed, and Chris Majane, Tax Counsel at ResMed. ResMed is a global leader in sleep technology that started in Australia and worked to change lives by developing, manufacturing, and distributing innovative medical devices and cloud-based software solutions to better diagnose, treat, and manage sleep-disordered breathing, COPD, and other key chronic diseases. Before we jump into this episode, Justified is proudly supported by the College of Law. As the School of Professional Practice in Australia, the College of Law's postgraduate programs are all about the law as applied to legal practice and work to equip you with the skills and knowledge that you need to enter the profession and to continually develop your career. To learn more about the College of Law, make sure to visit their website at collaw.edu.au. All right, let's get into it. Today on Justified, we'll be chatting with Melissa Morabito, Senior Legal Counsel at ResMed, along with Chris Majane, Tax Counsel at ResMed. Welcome to Justified. Good to be here. Thanks, Lucy. No worries. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Um, before we start asking some questions, what is the TV show that is getting you through social, social isolation? Uh, I've started watching Billions again. I would started it about a year ago and sort of dropped off, but I've picked picked up again um, billions and I'm enjoying that. I've tried Tiger King uh, given all the hype but uh, I couldn't keep with it. Yeah I also tried Tiger King but um, I'm watching The Office for about the 30th time so uh, that's that's been fantastic and I've been enjoying it just as much as the first time. So how did you guys both come to join ResMed? I'll start with Mel first. Yeah, I took, uh, I guess, the long way around to ResMed and the law. I um, I actually started my career as a high school teacher, um, but I was always interested in the law. So I I left my teaching post about five years in uh, and applied for a paralegal position at a mid-tier firm. Um, and during that time, I was sent on secondment uh, to ResMed. So the law firm sort of sent me out for a short period. Um, but here I am nearly 10 years later at ResMed. And Chris? Yeah, I, um, I was practising privately previously. So I started off my career in a big four, moved to a law firm um, later on, Gilbert and Tobin. And ResMed was actually one of my clients. And I didn't just make up this story for the interview, I promise. But what happened one day was uh, we're driving to Norwest Hospital. My wife was pregnant. And I said, wouldn't it be cool to work here at ResMed? And, uh, you know, ResMed was local and they sounded pretty good. And lo and behold, they advertised for tax counsel um, very shortly afterwards. So I took up that opportunity. Seems a bit like fate. It does. It does. <laughs> Make sure you tell my bosses that. <laughs> What's your favourite thing about working at ResMed, Mel? I think working for a company uh, that does good in well, good in the world, particularly um, our involvement in uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic and our supply of ventilators. Um, you know, working for a company that contributes positively to society, I think, always has that feel good factor. Mm. Um, and also, ResMed's been my only in house position, but I think the breadth of work on offer at ResMed, uh, there's a lot going on, and it's always an interesting and, and challenging environment. Mm. 
Yep, and I, I'd agree with all that, absolutely. Uh, the one thing I would add on top of that is, uh, not only do we have the breadth of the work, but everything we do has real implications. When you're at a law firm or uh, advising from the outside, you sort of give your advice and off it goes. Mm. Our advice is much more connected to the business and what we say will change the way things operate commercially. And that's huge. Yeah. So in terms of the work that you guys as in-house lawyers do, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I think a bit of everything, a bit of a jack-of-all-trades role. So uh, it could range from um, educating and training the business, uh, dealing with disputes, being involved in M&A work. Um, It could be advising on business strategy, um, you know, reviewing uh, transactional documents, agreements, contracts, uh, a lot of meetings, I think. you know, and, and our clients can range from uh, marketing people to finance people to procurement people, and that's where the variety really comes from. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's anything and everything. It's not just your t- traditional practice area. You know, like I come as a tax lawyer, but I'm doing all the same things that uh, Mel's just raised. Um, and you are really helping the business navigate through decision-making. It's not just mm. only about whether something is in accordance with the law, but really what are the practical implications of that? Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, from a practicing perspective, uh, it's the company that's our client uh, and we see all, uh, all uh, the employees as, as sort of different parts of that client coming and asking for real practical help. Uh, mm. So we have to be a lawyer in the sense that we need to understand what the law is, but we mm. also need to be, more of a coach sometimes, I think, Mel, just sort of coaching them through their thinking and their decision-making within certain guardrails. So in terms of your day-to-day life, I know you mentioned a lot of meetings. Can you tell us a little bit more about what sort of your typical day in-house looks like? Yeah, a typical day sort of changed now, given um, we're in this COVID environment and working from home. But a typical day in the office would probably be um, a morning catch-up with some team members. So, um, Lucy, you and I often catch up if we work Mm. on some matters together, Mm. uh, check in on what comes through overnight, particularly when you work in a global company. So we often get um, emails through overnight from Europe and the US. Um, Then it's probably into a couple of meetings and calls with clients. Um, If there's some time into the day to uh, review or draft, if that needs to be done, um, try and get out for a quick walk at lunch Uh, I find that refreshes me for the the back end of the day Um, and usually after lunch there's a few more meetings uh, which hopefully hopefully die down early in the evening so you can get some more uh, work whether there's drafting or or reviewing documents again yeah and Chris I'm guessing your day is much of the same it's almost identical I think (laughs) Uh, yeah a lot of time on the phone a lot of meetings we're dealing with our external law firm advisors, uh, uh, you know, depending on what matters are happening. We're dealing with our external stakeholders. My main external stakeholder are the tax authorities, but also uh, ASIC and uh, other bodies. Um, we're refreshing ourselves on new laws and issues because it's sort of more of a uh, issue that we have to deal with uh, ourselves and train ourselves up on it. 
And we're also refreshing ourselves with business strategy and what's been happening around the business. So we have a question from Izzy. Could you tell us a bit more about why you chose to work in-house as opposed to working in a commercial law firm and outline some of the ways that in-house practice differs from working in a commercial law firm? I think for me, uh, Lucy, mm-hmm. um, I've always been interested uh, in the, in business and the law. I actually started um, a, a com- and completed a commerce degree um, and as I said, I sort of took a different career path, landed at a at private practice in a paralegal role. Um, but I've always uh, been attracted to, I guess, the in-house role because it sort of combines the business and the law quite nicely. Mm. Um, as Chris and I have both said, a lot of um, our in-house role is not just being, you know, wearing your lawyer hat all the time, uh, but providing uh, strategic advice. And I also find it um, interesting to be close to the business and to be you know in partnership with the business and often um, we partner with specific teams in the organization and mm. you know you can influence strategy um, and as Chris said you, you you see the practical impact um, of your advice whereas I think in private practice you know you give that advice to your clients but you you, you don't see how that plays out necessarily. I agree. I mean, the only other few things I'll add there is uh, I'm finding now, you know, I've worked with some great people before, but I get to work with some of the best people in the industry, not just from one firm, but some of the best people from a whole range of firms. Um, And uh, you you really have the ability to instruct who you think is best for a job Mm. in-house whilst, you know, once when you're practicing privately, you sort of have whoever's in your team and that could be really good, but it could be limiting as well. Mm. Um, Another advantage I'm thinking of, I I mean, personally, I'm working on probably some of the most challenging and rewarding uh, jobs I've ever worked on and Mm. some of the most challenging and rewarding matters I've ever worked on. Uh, I guess disadvantages you raised, Lucy, as well. Mm. Uh, you can't just walk across the room and find your, you know, property law expert or firm expert standing mm. there just to ask a few questions. It's a bit more complex than that in the getting people externally. And Mel and I have built a lot of relationships and that helps to mm. just give people a call. But I think that's that's a downside. Another disadvantage would be diversity of clients. Um, I see that as an advantage to, to get into detail of one, but that mm. some people might not uh, like that as much. And limited PA support, I think, is the other one. I, I, I do miss that a little, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I think the other difference too, Chris, and, and you would have noticed you spent a lot more time in private practice than I have, but, um, you know, proximity to your clients can be both an advantage and a disadvantage. So in a law firm, you probably have a, a few more places to hide, but when your client's down the hallway or, you know, they grab you in the, the a cafe, um, they just have that ongoing access to you, which yeah. I think can sometimes be a disadvantage. Or they just stand at your desk, I find, when you're focusing on something. <laughs> exactly, Lucy. <laughs> yeah. So we've spoken about using external firms, Chris. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you engage with external law firms? Yeah, it, it's there's no science behind it and there's no magic behind it. Uh, we are briefed on matters. So so let's let's get another point of difference. I think when you're working externally, you're formally briefed on a matter. Mm. Internally, you don't even know what the legal issue is. You just have somebody coming up with something complex and you have to mm. figure out what the legal issue is from there. 
you you, tr you have to have a good sense of is this a corporate issue is it a commercial issue is it an ip issue and then from there you try to understand whether this is something you can advise on personally mm -hmm. whether it's material uh, or whether you need external assistance uh, my personal process is if it's something that i can do myself but it's risky i, I might go externally to confirm my advice mm. uh, if it's something that involves a lot of work uh, and, uh, and it's just something beyond the capacity of our in-house team, uh, we'll also, uh, I'll also look externally. Um, normally our process is not just to go to one law firm, but to mm. ask uh, more than one to see who has the best expertise and get a scope and fee for it, mm. uh, for the job. Uh, and from there, you know, in-house, we do have budgets, we do have approval processes, and we'll make sure that it's all ticked off. Um, once we're engaged, we will work very closely with that law firm. Um, we we work best, I think, when the law firm almost, that, that team becomes part of our team rather than acting at arm's length, that they come into our world a little. And um, But it's still, end of the day, it's part of the in-house lawyer to control that process, to gauge that process, and to make sure that the advice being received is commercial, is correct, um, and makes sense for the business. Mm. Yeah. The only thing I'd add to that, Lucy, is um, in-house, as I mentioned before, you may have a uh, responsibility to provide advice um, in other countries and other regions, yes. and often that mm -hmm. may be a reason for you to um, seek external advice because you're not overly familiar with the local law. Mm. Yeah, it's absurd, you know, advising on Chinese law uh in some niche area when you've never done that before um but it's something we deal with day in day out as in-house practitioners yeah and i think there's i mean managing external counsel is also something you learn uh, as you you know, you know gain more experience mm. um as an in-house lawyer um you know and build i think uh chris mentioned i think the importance really is building relationships uh with um, specialists in law firms who you can trust uh, mm. to provide uh, practical advice. Um, you know, there's there's been instances, I think, where maybe law firms are more focused on uh, the law rather than, you know, coming up with practical um, solutions, which is what mm. our clients are looking for. Yeah. Um, certainly, and I, I know you're aware, Lucy, that, you know, mm. when we provide advice to clients, they don't want us referencing, you know, no. section 126 subsection 2 and yeah. you know um you know regurgitate the law essentially you've got to take take that legal advice and and apply it to uh the business issue the problem and, and create a solution for the business and use their language Absolutely. yeah that's right like the last thing we would want is um you know if, if, all lawyers want to work on a really tricky technical issue and the classic example is that they've worked through it, they've gone through, you know, pages and pages and documents and documents, and they're like, we think more likely than not, you're probably right. And we can't we can't accept that, right? Because that, that's a huge business risk. And we have to think, well, practically, I might be right. But if I want to fight somebody about this for the next 10 years, I don't want to be right. Let's, let's, let's take the other approach. Um, so it's, it's about dissecting what the law means, dissecting the practicalities of it and giving mm. our clients the most commercial way forward. Yeah. So in terms of becoming an in-house lawyer, what is sort of the typical career path to becoming one? I think there's a, I, I think typically, traditionally, Lucy, it's been, um, you know, you go from 
university, uh, into private practice, uh, spend some years there, and then, uh, you know, around the five to seven year mark, you might see people coming in-house. But I, I certainly think there's an alternative pathway building, uh, which is probably the one that I sort of took around where you come in as a paralegal while you're studying, um, build up your skill set, uh, start as a junior lawyer, um, and go from there. But certainly, I think the, the traditional pathway is probably still the, the dominant pathway, um, but there are other alternatives. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it, it's, there's no single way to becoming an in-house lawyer. There are a lot of different uh, options we see, and not one is better than the other. I mean, some of the yeah. best practitioners I've ever seen have been in-house their whole lives, whilst you get fantastic practitioners coming in later on in their career. Um, I think it comes down to uh, where you're at at that time and whether you think it's something you want to do at that time or whether you want the structure of a, a commercial law firm first. Mm. So we have another question from one of the Mull's executives. Um, so Daniel has asked, What do you see as the key skills you need to be a successful in-house lawyer? Yeah, I think we've uh, touched on it earlier. I think, you know, there's an element of knowing the law and, and understanding the law. And I think, you know, that that's your ticket to play. But I think the stuff that will really make you a good in-house lawyer is probably more around communication skills. So the ability to interact with your compliance and also um, convey to them often, you know, complex legal concepts in a, in a simple way. Um, and that's, that's not easy for some people to do. And that, that's another skill that, that would need to be developed. And I, I think probably the biggest one is a problem-solving mindset. Um, you know, often people come to us, as Chris said, with uh, quite complex issues and you've got to dig through all the facts, gather all the information, identify what the issue is and then uh, come up with a solution. Um, definitely communication and problem-solving skills, I think, are top of the list. Yeah, I agree 100%. It, it's all well and good to, to know the law, but to be a critical thinker and to be able to do things practically uh, is key. And uh, it, it's hard, you know, it's hard to pick that up in an interview process. It's hard to understand what that really means until you experience it. But um, it's really about demonstrating your ability to change the paradigms in which you're operating. So, mm. you know, the answer might seem to be... Uh, dichotomous it might seem to be it's either a or b but mm. quite often there's other answers and you have to be able to demonstrate you can think outside the box mm. so now we just have a quick advertisement from the college of law justified is proudly supported by the college of law the college of law offer a variety of postgraduate law study options including practical legal training plt plt is all about you developing the practical skills and knowledge you will need to practice as a graduate lawyer by studying a variety of subjects, the College of Law's PLT program will help you learn the nuts and bolts of working in a firm or organisation as a professional lawyer. To learn more about the College of Law and the PLT programs, make sure to visit their website at collaw.edu.au. So Mel, um, in terms of your work, working in more commercial law and competition and consumer, um, Pip has asked, how do you respond to issues regarding competition and consumer law at ResMed? Do you have any examples? Yeah, so competition and consumer law is a, a big part of my role and sort of bread and butter for a lot of in-house counsel. Mm. Um, 
competition law um, issues are often complex, as you've seen, Lucy, particularly yeah. <laughs> uh, when you are advising a business that's uh, vertically integrated, so we're both a wholesaler and a retailer. I think that adds a lot of complexity yeah. um, because you're both a supplier to and a competitor uh, with your wholesale customers. And competition law itself is quite complex and um, often involves uh, a market analysis. Mm. Um, so that it's not always a straightforward answer. Um, I, I think, you know, you'd apply uh, the same sort of thinking and process to resolve competition and consumer law and any issues within the business, I think. And that's, you know, make sure you you, you sit with the client and, and get, gather the facts and all mm. the information you need. Uh, then critically analyse those facts, look at the law, um, and then craft a, a solution for the business or, or provide some advice. Mm. Um, consumer law issues are a bit different in that I think sometimes we often get involved directly uh, with yeah. customer complaints. Uh, we had one just the other day, Lucy, as you know, yeah. where, you know, customers, some customers, you know, um, request to speak to the company lawyer uh, <laughs> to resolve some of those issues. And obviously in Australia, we have the uh, Australian Consumer Law and the Consumer Guarantees operating, um, yeah. which are pro provides, I guess, an additional layer of complexity uh, for us to consider. Mm. So how do these laws sort of impact the operations at ResMed and what you and how you advise your clients? Yeah, well, particularly the um, the ACL, uh, mm. you know, and I think, Lucy, you've been involved in quite a few matters around yeah. uh, warranty issues and how we handle uh, customer uh, questions around yeah. whether they're, you know, covered for specific issues. Um, I always say to the business, for, to me, it's about, you know, if we value the customer, then we should treat them fairly. Uh, yeah. And then secondly, to me, is the Australian consumer law, which is, of course, very pro-consumer and looking after consumer rights. Um, mm. I think our business um, manages that process very well uh, mm. because they do put the consumer first. And, you know, ultimately, the success of a, a business isn't, you know, one consumer buying your product once. It's trying mm. to keep that consumer um, happy yeah. so they become a consumer for a lifetime and, and that's the way I always think about when we're dealing with these yeah. issues well you know we should be considering that and that should be front of mind. Yeah and to also consider the impact on ResMed so if they were to say something bad like maintaining that good relationship there is always kind of important in those matters. Exactly. And this is kind of um, a bit of a different question but what is exciting about competition and consumer law? <laughs> other than getting calls <laughs> from clients directly? <laughs> well, I, um, I, I, I had a passion for economics and so I quite like uh, market analysis and, and competition law issues. And I think for me on, on the consumer side, like I mentioned before, um, is having a real impact uh, with real people that buy our products um, yeah. and trying to deal with them in a way where they feel that they've been uh, heard and that the issue's been resolved. Um, mm. So it's not so much the law itself that's exciting to me, it's um, the questions that come up or the issues that come up in light of the law, but, but how we handle them and the people that we get to interact with to, to solve those issues. And in terms of the law, is there a way that you keep the business sort of educated in terms of these developments? 
Yeah, well, you help out a lot with that, Lucy. So <laughs> we um, we try to get to our customer-facing staff a couple of times a year um, just to keep them up to date with the consumer law, understand what they've been doing or some of the issues, maybe the trickier issues that we've had and, and work through those. So I think that's really um, an education piece uh, to our internal clients um, to keep them up to date with the law, to keep it fresh in their mind and to understand um, why we have to handle certain matters in certain ways. Yeah, and I think uh, in terms of training, I think that's one of the key roles that sort of in-house lawyers do in terms of trying to keep not only ourselves educated but also our clients. So if they do have issues, they might know where a starting point is. Yeah, and also so we sort of avoid maybe some downstream impact because if we can upskill our guys on the front line, um, then, you know, you would hope we would tend to avoid um, disputes. Yeah, exactly. So, Chris, I just want to ask some questions about your work as tax counsel at ResMed. Um, so is it a challenge to keep up with the constant changes to tax law and what are some strategies that you do um, to keep on top of it? Yeah, look, tax is a particularly complex area. Um, I have four volumes of legislation on my desk and that only covers the federal laws laws of Australia and not all of them uh, as well. So we've got state laws and we've got laws of every different country and we've got international treaties. Um, it is difficult and in-house it's a bit more difficult because there's no formal yeah. training regime at most in-house uh, uh, I guess, uh, law divisions. Um, there are some events mm -hmm. held by firms that's useful for keeping abreast of tax law changes. Uh, but I, I'm going to be honest here, and I might agree or disagree. They, they, they can be marketing campaigns sometimes rather than technical matters. So you do need to make time. Um, I mean, my strategy for keeping on top of technical updates, always reading mm -hmm. things that come through and technical updates that come through. I have a direct plug into the parliamentary updates for tax laws. I have a direct plug into CCH updates for tax laws. Uh, with those relationships I've built, uh, you know, in the industry and with some of my old contacts, I'm always up for a technical chat and a bit of a debate. Um, and it, it's always keeping the passion with the law. I think if you're passionate about what you do, you enjoy what you do, um, you will actively go out and learn more about it. And uh, I think those are some of the strategies that have been really useful for me. And in terms of tax matters that you work on on ResMed, what's the type, what type of work do you do? Yeah, so there's a few different categories. One is proactive stuff. So mm -hmm. ResMed's planning on doing something. ResMed's planning on launching a product in a certain way. ResMed is thinking about structuring or doing M&A. Uh, and it's about providing advice to, to my client and to the business about how they can do that in a way that's effective but not going to get the business into any trouble. Uh, tax is an area where you have every government around the world trying to get as much as they can. It's a bit of a tug of war. So you need to make sure what you, uh, the advice you give is proportionate and correct. Um, then there's the other side, which is the dispute side, um, where, where tax, uh, tax is a, an issue that's often under audit. Uh, and uh, we, as tax lawyers, have to help navigate our clients through an order and dispute process that mm -hmm. might eventuate into litigation as well. Um, so those are the sort of ranges of things I deal with from a tax side, but also deal with things from a commercial and legal side. So, for example, uh, intercompany arrangements uh, between all our different jurisdictions is part of the portfolio. 
and also just the way we uh, the we the way we deal with external bodies. So mm. our, our final customers, our final patients. How do we sell to those? What's our pricing model? What's our what's our uh, uh, model for um, taxing uh, and capturing our obligations there? So I guess there's a few different elements of it. Um, it's definitely got its breadth. Mm. And I know this is a common perception and I feel like I've said this sometimes myself to you, Chris, in the office, but what would you say to law students who have a prejudice against tax law because it seems boring and complex? It's not only law students that have that, uh, that prejudice. I think Lucy is drafting this question as if it's from a third party, but perhaps not, that's not the case. Uh, let's, let's tackle each of those individually. So there, there's boring and there's complex. Um, it is complex. It's very complex. Um, and some of the best tax lawyers in the world are still learning a lot of big ticket items towards the end of their career. Right? You will never get towards the end. And I mean, that's, that's a really exciting thing for me intellectually it's incredibly challenging mm. um and on the boring side i mean let's 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 approach that a bit uh, <laughs> tax does have a bit of a pr issue and i'll explain that it has very little to do with accounting and numbers and tax returns being a tax lawyer tax touches every area of the law we're talking administrative law constitutional law criminal law family law requirements there's a heavy heavy expertise requirement for contract trust and equity law um, and once you're a tax lawyer, at least from my experience, you can actually practice in all these other areas quite easily. You, you pick up skills that you didn't realize you knew you had. Um, previously in my private practicing life, um, I was a, one of the lead experts in trust law mm. and equity law, despite being a tax practitioner. Um, so it, it isn't just about numbers. And mm. you don't have to be good with numbers. You have to be a good, well-rounded practitioner that's pa mm. uh, passionate about what they do um, and interested in learning everything they can about the law generally and mm. about getting into the detail where it's necessary. I don't think I answered your question about it being boring, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think that's the best I can get. It, it, I've have found it one of the most interesting uh, practicing areas I could have ever went to, into. And I've had opportunities to think about other practicing areas and I'm still here. Nice. It's nice that you sort of love and advocate for tax law, even if it's something that is not so advocated for. <laughs> Maybe around these circles, Lucy. Maybe around these circles. You need to get into a tax law conference. They're fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so thank you guys for being on Justified today. I really appreciate it. And if you had one piece of advice for Macquarie Law students, what would it be? Uh, I think um, law students are very focused on marks. And marks are, in, are important, particularly in a, a competitive market. Um, but also focus on developing your skill set more broadly and, and get as much industry experience as you can uh, because at the end of the day, I think you need to be able to differentiate yourself um, and think about what value you can provide, uh, you know, that the person or that, you know, the hundreds of other people competing for the same role don't have. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard for mm. tax, uh, sorry, tax, uh, for just uh, students coming through law school these days. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's been like this for a long time, but I, I know when I was interviewing people previously for roles and graduate positions, 
I'll look at their resumes and think, God, these guys are smart and there's a lot of competition out there. Mm. Um, don't let that phase you. Keep the passion and keep the spark. When you're doing something at uni and you're really enjoying it, just make a mental note. I like this type of work. I like this type of study. Now, it might not be that practicing area. It might be, or it might just be the way of thinking that, that you're currently involved in. Capture it and try to get as much of it as you can. Like Mel said, um, try to get experience however you can, whether it's a really, really small type of startup that, that you've got friends undertaking and you want to be a role uh, part of that, or whether you find um, other experiences. You know, I, I remember uh, doing pro bono work and working at the... Uh, the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions as well, um, just mm. to try to get as much as I could. So find that passion, find that spark and uh, continue it on and, uh, you know, be, be open to change, be open to opportunities as you progress through. Mm. I think the traditional pathway of a student going through law school, becoming a lawyer in a law firm, then working up to partner is changing very quickly. Yeah. Um, and if we're in a good way, in a good way. Thanks for that advice, guys. And thank you again for being on Justified. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you, Lucy. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Justified. Justified is proudly supported by the College of Law. The College of Law offer the largest range of flexible postgraduate study programs, all purpose and skills driven to ensure that you have the best start to your legal career. The College of Law have 19 locations throughout Australia and provide dedicated support to students for their entire course. To learn more about the College of Law and the variety of their flexible and online postgraduate programs, make sure to visit their website at collaw.edu.au. Make sure to keep an eye out on the Macquarie University Law Society's Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn page to see when the next episode of Justified will go live.